Section 14 of What is Property? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. What is Property? An Inquiry into the Principle of Right and of Government by Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. Translated by Benjamin R. Tucker. Chapter 4, Part 2 that property is impossible third proposition property is impossible because with a given capital production is proportional to labor not to property to pay a farm rent of one hundred at the rate of ten percent of the product the product must be one thousand that the product may be one thousand a force of one thousand laborers is needed it follows that in granting a furlough as we have just done to our one hundred labor proprietors, all of them had equal right to lead the life of men of income. We have placed ourselves in a position where we are unable to pay their revenues. In fact, the productive power, which at first was one thousand, being now but nine hundred, the production is also reduced to nine hundred, one tenth of which is ninety. Either then ten proprietors out of the one hundred cannot be paid provided the remaining ninety are to get the whole amount of their farm rent, or else all must consent to a decrease of ten per cent. For it is not for the labourer, who has been wanting in no particular, who has produced as in the past, to suffer by the withdrawal of the proprietor. The latter must take the consequences of his own idleness. But then the proprietor becomes poorer for the very reason that he wishes to enjoy, by exercising his right, he loses it. So that property seems to decrease and vanish in proportions as we try to lay hold of it. The more we pursue it, the more it eludes our grasp. What sort of a right is that which is governed by numerical relations, and which an arithmetical calculation can destroy? The labourer-proprietor received first as labourer 0.9 in wages, second as proprietor one in farm rent he said to himself my farm rent is sufficient i have enough and to spare without my labor and thus it is that the income upon which he calculated gets diminished by one-tenth he at the same time not even suspecting the cause of this diminution by taking part in the production he was himself the creator of this tenth which has vanished and while he thought to labor only for himself, he unwittingly suffered a loss in exchanging his products, by which he was made to pay to himself one-tenth of his own farm rent. Like everyone else, he produced one, and received but 0 0.9. If, instead of 900 laborers, there had been but 500, the whole amount of farm rent would have been reduced to 50. If there had been but 100, it would have fallen to 10. We may posit, then, the following axiom as a law of proprietary economy. Increase must diminish as the number of idlers augments. This first result will lead us to another more surprising still. Its effect is to deliver us at one blow from all the evils of property, without abolishing it, without wronging proprietors, and by a highly conservative process. We have just proved that, if the farm rent in a community of one thousand laborers is one hundred that of nine hundred would be ninety that of eight hundred eighty that of one hundred ten etc 
so that in a community where there was but one labourer the farm rent would be but zero point one no matter how great the extent and value of the land appropriated therefore with a given landed capital production is proportional to labour not to property guided by this principle let us try to ascertain the maximum increase of all property whatever what is essentially a farm lease it is a contract by which the proprietor yields to a tenant possession of his land in consideration of a portion of that which it yields him the proprietor if in consequence of an increase in his household the tenant becomes ten times as strong as the proprietor he will produce ten times as much would the proprietor in such a case be justified in raising the farm rent tenfold his right is not the more you produce the more i demand it is the more i sacrifice the more i demand the increase in the tenant's household the number of hands at his disposal the resources of his industry all these serve to increase production but bear no relation to the proprietor his claims are to be measured by his own productive capacity not that of others property is the right of increase not a poll tax how could a man hardly capable of cultivating even a few acres by himself demand of a community on the ground of its use of ten thousand acres of his property ten thousand times as much as he is incapable of producing from one acre why should the price of a loan be governed by the skill and strength of the borrower rather than the utility sacrificed by the proprietor we must recognize then this second economical law increase is measured by a fraction of the proprietor's production now this production what is it in other words what can the lord and master of a piece of land justly claim to have sacrificed in lending it to a tenant the productive capacity of a proprietor like that of any laborer being one the product which he sacrifices in surrendering his land is also one if then the rate of increase is ten percent the maximum increase is zero point one but we have seen that whenever a proprietor withdraws from production the amount of products is lessened by one then the increase which accrues to him being equal to zero point one while he remains among the laborers will be equal after his withdrawal by the law of the decrease of farm rent to zero point nine thus we are led to this final formula the maximum income of a proprietor is equal to the square root of the product of one labourer some number being agreed upon to express this product the diminution which this income suffers if the proprietor is idle is equal to a fraction whose numerator is one and whose denominator is the number which expresses the product thus the maximum income of an idle proprietor or of one who labours in his own behalf outside of the community figured at ten per cent on an average production of one thousand francs per labourer would be ninety francs if then there are in france one million proprietors with an income of one thousand francs each which they consume unproductively instead of the one thousand millions which are paid them annually they are entitled in strict justice and by the most accurate calculation to ninety millions only it is something of a reduction to take nine hundred and ten millions from the burdens which weigh so heavily upon the laboring class nevertheless the account is not finished and the laborer is still ignorant of the full extent of his rights 
What is the right of increase when confined within just limits? A recognition of the right of occupancy. But since all have an equal right of occupancy, every man is by the same title a proprietor. Every man has a right to an income equal to a fraction of his product. If, then, the labourer is obliged by the right of property to pay a rent to the proprietor, the proprietor is obliged by the same right to pay the same amount of rent to the labourer, and, since their rights balance each other, the difference between them is zero. Scolium. If farm rent is only a fraction of the supposed product of the proprietor, whatever the amount and value of the property, the same is true in the case of a large number of small and distinct proprietors. For, although one man may use the property of each separately, he cannot use the property of all at the same time. To sum up, the right of increase, which can exist only within very narrow limits defined by the laws of production, is annihilated by the right of occupancy. Now, without the right of increase, there is no property. Then property is impossible. Fourth proposition. Property is impossible, because it is homicide. If the right of increase should be subjected to the laws of reason and justice, it would be reduced to an indemnity or reward, whose maximum could never exceed for a single labourer a certain fraction of that which he is capable of producing. This we have just shown. But why should the right of increase? Let us not fear to call it by its right name, the right of robbery, be governed by reason, with which it has nothing in common. The proprietor is not content with the increase allotted him by good sense and the nature of things. He demands ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times as much. By his own labour, his property would yield him a product equal only to one, and he demands of society no longer a right proportional to his productive capacity, but a per capita tax. He taxes his fellows in proportion to their strength, their number, and their industry. A son is born to a farmer. Good, says the proprietor, one more chance for increase. By what process has farm rent been thus changed into a poll tax? Why have our jurists and our theologians failed, with all their shrewdness, to check the extension of the right of increase? The proprietor, having estimated from his own productive capacity the number of labourers which his property will accommodate, divides it into as many portions, and says, Each one shall yield me revenue. To increase his income, he has only to divide his property. Instead of reckoning the interest due him on his labour, he reckons it on his capital, and, by this substitution, the same property, which in the hands of its owner is capable of yielding only one, is worth to him ten, a hundred, a thousand, a million. Consequently, he has only to hold himself in readiness to register the names of the labourers who apply to him. His task consists in drafting leases and receipts. Not satisfied with the lightness of his duty, the proprietor does not intend to bear even the deficit resulting from his idleness. He throws it upon the shoulders of the producer, of whom he always demands the same reward. When the farm rent of a piece of land is once raised to its highest point, the proprietor never lowers it. High prices, the scarcity of labour, the disadvantages of the season, even pestilence itself, have no effect upon him. 
why should he suffer from hard times when he does not labor here commences a new series of phenomena say who reasons with marvelous clearness whenever he assails taxation but who is blind to the fact that the proprietor as well as the tax-gatherer steals from the tenant and in the same manner says in his second letter to maltus if the collector of taxes and those who employ him consume one-sixth of the products they thereby compel the producers to feed clothe and support themselves on five-sixths of what they produce they admit this but say at the same time that it is possible for each one to live on five-sixths of what he produces i admit that if they insist upon it but i ask if they believe that the producer would live as well in case they demanded of him instead of one-sixth two-sixths or one-third of their products no but he would still live then i ask whether he would still live in case they should rob him of two-thirds then three-quarters but i hear no reply if the master of the french economists has been less blinded by his propriety prejudices he would have seen that farm rent has precisely the same effect take a family of peasants composed of six persons father mother and four children living in the country and cultivating a small piece of ground let us suppose that by hard labor they manage as the saying is to make both ends meet that having lodged warmed clothed and fed themselves they are clear of debt but have laid up nothing taking the years together they contrive to live if the year is prosperous the father drinks a little more wine the daughters buy themselves a dress the sons a hat they eat a little cheese and occasionally some meat i say that these people are on the road to wreck and ruin for by the third corollary of our axiom they owe to themselves the interest of their own capital estimating this capital at only eight thousand francs at two and a half per cent there is an annual interest of two hundred francs to be paid if then these two hundred francs instead of being subtracted from the gross product to be saved and capitalized are consumed there is an annual deficit of two hundred francs in the family assets so that at the end of forty years these good people without suspecting it will have eaten up their property and become bankrupt this result seems ridiculous it is a sad reality the conscription comes what is the conscription an act of property exercised over families by government without warning a robbery of men and money the peasants do not like to part with their sons in that i do not think them wrong it is hard for a young man of twenty to gain anything by life in the barracks unless he is depraved he detests it you can generally judge of a soldier's morality by his hatred of his uniform unfortunate wretches or worthless scamps such is the make-up of the french army this ought not to be the case but so it is question a hundred thousand men and not one will contradict my assertion our peasant in redeeming his two conscripted sons expends four thousand francs which he borrows for that purpose the interest on this at five per cent is two hundred francs a sum equal to that referred to above if up to this time the production of the family constantly balanced by its consumption has been one thousand two hundred francs or two hundred francs per persons in order to pay this interest either the six laborers must produce as much as seven or must consume as little as five 
curtail consumption they cannot how can they curtail necessity to produce more is impossible they can work neither harder nor longer shall they take the middle course and consume five and a half while producing six and a half they would soon find that with the stomach there is no compromise that beyond a certain degree of abstinence it is impossible to go that strict necessity can be curtailed but little without injury to health and as for increasing the product there comes a storm a drought an epizootic and all the hopes of the farmer are dashed in short the rent will not be paid the interest will accumulate the farm will be seized and the possessor ejected thus a family which lived in prosperity while it abstained from exercising the right of property falls into misery as soon as the exercise of this right becomes a necessity property requires of the husbandman the double power of enlarging his land and fertilizing it by a simple command while a man is simply possessor of the land he finds in it means of subsistence as soon as he pretends to proprietorship it suffices him no longer being able to produce only that which he consumes the fruit of his labor is his recompense for his trouble nothing is left for the instrument required to pay what he cannot produce such is the condition of the tenant after the proprietor has retired from social production in order to speculate upon the labor of others by new methods let us now return to our first hypothesis the nine hundred laborers sure that their future production will equal that of the past are quite surprised after paying their farm rent to find themselves poorer by one-tenth than they were the previous year in fact this tenth which was formerly produced and paid by the proprietor laborer who then took part in the production and paid part of the public expenses now has not been produced and has been paid it must then have been taken from the producer's consumption to choke this inexplicable deficit the laborer borrows confident of his intention and ability to return a confidence which is shaken the following year by a new loan plus the interest on the first from whom does he borrow from the proprietor the proprietor lends his surplus to the laborer and this surplus which he ought to return becomes being lent at interest a new source of profit to him then debts increase indefinitely the proprietor makes advances to the producer who never returns them and the latter constantly robbed and constantly borrowing from the robbers ends in bankruptcy defrauded of all that he had suppose that the proprietor who needs his tenant to furnish him with an income then releases him from his debt he will thus do a very benevolent deed which will procure for him a recommendation in the curate's prayers while the poor tenant overwhelmed by his unstinted charity and taught by his catechism to pray for his benefactors will promise to redouble his energy and suffer new hardships that he may discharge his debt to so kind a master this time he takes precautionary measures he raises the price of grains the manufacturer does the same with his products the reaction comes and after some fluctuation the farm rent which the tenant thought to put upon the manufacturer's shoulders becomes nearly balanced so that while he is congratulating himself upon his success he finds himself again impoverished but to an extent somewhat smaller than before for the rise having been general the proprietor suffers with the rest 
so that the labourers, instead of being poorer by one-tenth, lose only nine hundredths. But always it is a debt which necessitates a loan, the payment of interest, economy, and fasting. Fasting for the nine hundredths which ought not to be paid, and are paid, fasting for the redemption of debts, fasting to pay the interest on them. Let the crop fail, and the fasting become starvation. They say, it is necessary to work more. That means, obviously, that it is necessary to produce more. By what conditions is production affected? By the combined action of labour, capital, and land. As for the labour, the tenant undertakes to furnish it, but capital is formed only by economy. Now, if the tenant could accumulate anything, he would pay his debts, but granting that he has plenty of capital, and what use would it be to him if the extent of the land which he cultivates always remained the same? He needs to enlarge his farm. Will it be said finally that he must work harder and to better advantage? But in our estimation of farm rent, we have assumed the highest possible average of production. Were it not the highest, the proprietor would increase the farm rent. Is not this the way in which the large landed proprietors have gradually raised their rents, as fast as they have ascertained by the increase in population and the development of industry how much society can produce from their property the proprietor is a foreigner to society but like the vulture his eyes fixed upon his prey he holds himself ready to pounce upon and devour it the facts to which we have called attention in a community of one thousand persons are reproduced on a large scale in every nation and wherever human beings live but with infinite variations and in innumerable forms which it is no part of my intention to describe in fine property after having robbed the labourer by usury murders him slowly by starvation now without robbery and murder property cannot exist with robbery and murder it soon dies for want of support therefore it is impossible end of section fourteen chapter four part two